the structure of political opportunity is actually Welcome back to the New Pathways podcast. For today's episode, we have the lab from Friday, May 29th at 1.30 p.m., Leading Change. This conversation featured Pascal Renders, Amber Shand, Andrea Harrington, Newell Eaton, and Gwendolyn Hampton-Vincent and Deshante Renee. Please enjoy this conversation. Be well, do as much good work as you possibly can, and stay safe out there. Um, I'm going to start with our DA, um, Andrea Harrington. Um, hopefully you've had a chance to see the videos, and if you haven't, you can watch them afterwards. But Andrea was one of our featured speakers. Thank you. So you have four minutes, and then Donye will send you a chat for the last minute. And then after that, we're all going to do jazz hands and start dancing if you go over five minutes. <laughs> So <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> All right, so there you go. <laughs> right, so I have a, a question that you had sent previously. Did you want me to answer this prompt that you sent yeah. me? Yes, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Okay, okay. So um, the, the question from you was, how do you bridge what was shared in the video with what's happening now in our workplaces and communities from your perspective and in your work? Um, you know, I think with the, I, I love what you're doing in response to COVID-19 because the, the thing about this illness is that it is not actually the great equalizer. It has affected different communities in very different ways. And we're seeing, you know, people who work kind of service jobs be called forward to be essential workers. We're seeing how uh, communities of color have been disparately impacted by the, uh, certainly the health effects of the illness here in Massachusetts, you know, communities like Chelsea in the um, Eastern part of the state have been uh, have very, very high rates of COVID-19. We're seeing people who are behind bars, who we know are disproportionately black and brown people um, being subjected uh, to much higher rates of infection, which is particularly concerning given that people who are incarceration, incarcerated tend to have a more uh, complicated health conditions than people who are not. So, you know, the, the I love how you're turning what really is a disaster into an opportunity for us to, you know, look, take a hard look at the way that our um, structures are perpetrating, you know, really, you know, really terrible impacts on different parts of our community. And, you know, for me as a, a privileged person for, you know, for me, for my quarantine, you know, I, I got a Peloton, I got my Nespresso, I got a huge bottle of Tangeray, and you know, I've enjoyed spending more time with my kids on a personal level, but certainly, you know, this is not the experience of 
everybody in our community. And so we really need to, to use this as an opportunity to look at why we have these structures that are leading to such disparities between different groups. And, you know, we've, as a, as a leader, this has been a really, really challenging time because we're faced with tough questions. And in my community of Berkshire County, I've been a little bit frustrated by the conversation, the prevailing conversation that we really see in the media. You know, when I compare what I see here in our local media versus what I see in the Boston Globe, I feel like we're living in, you know, different universes. Um, I don't see here our local community really having strong, honest conversations. And I see a lot of people who, you know, there's an argument that being made in a lot of corners that, you know, poor people, people of color, people struggling with substance use disorder are better off in our local county house of correction because it will protect them from the virus. This is a real, this is a real talking point that exists in our community. And I've been frustrated that that is allowed to be just even a legitimate conversation. Um, so from, you know, from my perspective, I think that we really need activists and the people who care about these topics to be participating in this conversation at the local level and talking about, you know, what's happening here in our community and, and what do we need to do to change, uh, to make our community more equitable and inclusive. And I've been very inspired by a lot of the um, female criminal justice leaders that I know and that I um, learn from because I think that we have led the way in terms of having honest conversations, uh, particularly looking at the role of incarceration in COVID-19 and the role of incarceration, I think, beyond COVID-19. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to hear from each um, uh, panelists and then we will go into questions. So thank you very much. Um, we're going to move on to Newell next. Can you hear me? Yes. I think it was a month ago that Gwendolyn said to me, um, you know, would you be willing to come out and do a, a, a talk on, you know, kind of how I see what's going on in the global pandemic and and its impact on organizations, its impact on communities. And as a leadership coach, um, which is what I'm doing these days, my, my background really showed up in this. Uh, I started as a street counselor working with kids, mostly runaway kids, um, you know, quite a few decades ago in terms of that and ran a bunch of nonprofit organizations in sort of the, the space of working with what, what kids need in, in particularly in urban settings in terms of things and sort of the learning about how to engage in communications that matter began for me at that point. And then I actually retired, uh, I'm now 15 years retired from being head of strategic planning for New York's juvenile justice and child welfare system. And when I got done with that, it struck me the work that really needed to be done in the world was to impact leaders consciousness because leaders are the ones who are really determining our future in all kinds of ways. So somebody called what they what you do when you do that, a leadership coach, rather than a community organizer, which is what I always thought I was. 
So that's really where I entered, entered this stream. And I, I've been looking at this um, pandemic situation globally. Um, I think someone said it really beautifully in a conference that's going on called uh, In Humanities Rising. Um, this group of women and entrepreneurs were talking very much about the need for a sort of a more feminist shift to the way leadership operates in the world, given what's going on. And one of them said this, I thought, very powerful thing that's been ringing in my ear all day since I read it, that, you know, we're all in this ocean together, and the ocean has got this stormy sea, but we are in very different boats. Some of us are in very fine boats, those of us that this is just kind of a staycation, you know, and then there are those of us that are on rafts, and there are some of us who are just swimming for our lives. And that disparity is really, as Andrea was pointing out, so extreme right now. So it becomes, how do we take, you know, our cares and move those into action? And I think the answer to that, what we can do as individuals at the first level is it happens in every conversation we're having with each other. It can happen in how we take care of ourselves first of all, so that we're healthy. How does it happen in the kinds of the quality of the conversations and the listening we do to people in all of our aspects of interaction. And then how do we really support people who are most in need at this time? How do we reach out and make that happen? And I'm looking at you in the, in, um, somebody called this the Brady Bunch series. I think of them as baseball cards. I'm showing my age, you know, in these little clips that we have of each other, you know, and it's like, what is it we could be doing in terms of daily action in our, in our interactions with everybody we touch, that we deal with them from a heartful, empathetic kind of way? What is it that the connections we can have in those kinds of ways? And speak out, as Andrea was saying. So to move from uh, conversations that matter to actions of significance. What are the various ways we can do that? And this kind of thing is a really great way to begin that through the conversations and the networking that happens amongst everybody on this. Uh, I'll call it a call, but I, it's more like a meeting, you know? A meetup, yeah. So that's, that's kind of my, my reflection on where we are right now. I don't have magic answers for any of this, but it's how do, how do we take every moment and strategically interact with people in ways, even, you know, like what, on my street corner here at seven o'clock every night, there's a guy who gets up on the roof and plays his trumpet, you know, and he plays his trumpet with a beautiful piece of music and all the neighbors come out on the stoop and it's a, you know, and we all clap and we bang drums and we do stuff to really acknowledge the people who are the people doing the service right now who don't can't stay at home. And so um, it really is a beautiful time of bringing people together in that way that generates those six foot conversations from stoop to stoop. So that's, that's my hope is that more of that kind of interaction can happen in all kinds of neighborhoods. So I'll call myself signed out for now. We'll deal with the chat more later. All right, thank you. <laughs> uh, we're gonna move on to Pascal, thank you. <clears throat> yes, so um, as I said earlier, I work as a leadership coach, but from a personal, deve personal development perspective. So I, I like to do the deep inner work with leaders and if you ask me what my perspective is um, uh, on this COVID-19 um, phenomenon and crisis, uh, I'd like to focus on the personal aspects. 
uh, of leadership or, you know, just personal aspects in general. Um, so I, in my observation, uh, what COVID-19 has done uh, with many leaders and with people in general, with you and me in general, is that it has brought to the surface um, issues, themes that maybe were present all the time, but we, in the business of our lives, we were not able to attend to. So in a certain way, COVID-19 has been the trigger or generator of uh, sitting still, being still, being forced to sit down and take some time. Uh, so it has stopped our activities, our daily habits and routines. And whenever that happens, there's a phenomenon that occurs. We all of a sudden become more aware of our inner feelings. So I see the COVID-19 crisis as a huge timeout, uh, organized timeout uh, activity that has brought awareness, awareness in a general sense. Um, but then when we tune into that, what sort of awareness basically? So whenever you are forced to sit down and not do anything, the first awareness that, um, that arises is of course your thoughts and on a deeper level, your feelings. So I've seen uh, that this awareness has gone in both directions of people becoming or leaders becoming more aware of the painful places uh, or painful issues in, in their organization. And this stopping, the, the activity being stopped has only made that more obvious. Also on a personal level, um, when you finally confronted with yourself and have time to do so, you all of a sudden become more aware of what works in your life, what works well and what doesn't. So in a way it's like, yeah, this huge light that is, has been thrown on your life. And I've seen many leaders for whom this has been a very affirming moment, affirming in the sense of my values, company values and my personal values, they're all nicely aligned. And yes, this COVID-19 crisis just affirms the stuff we were already doing. And it's just a very affirming experience. And on the other hand, I've also seen leaders uh, starting to struggle because they're all of a sudden confronted with behaviors, business models, uh, organizational behavior that doesn't really uh, help or serve humanity. And for these people, maybe, or these leaders, it can be a big, a big crisis opportunity. As somebody said, yes, but a crisis anyway. So I see it more, um, uh, the COVID-19 crisis, I see it as a moment where light is thrown on the stuff in your life that is, or is working nicely. And then also a big light on your shadow, you know, to, to use Jungian psychology. Uh, light is shown on your own shadow and your darkness, meaning what is not working for me, what sort of feelings uh, did I repress for all these years, for many, who are in dysfunctional relationships, you know, being stuck at home in a dysfunctional relationship is only an affirming moment that this is not working in your life. And for, for a leader,
because that's the topic of today. Uh, for leaders, it's the same thing. So is my organization really up to speed with the world evolution or not? And what do I do with this? So I see my time is up. So. <laughs> Thank you. More to come. Thank yes. you. <laughs> All right. And Amber, you'll bring us home. Well, I like to call COVID-19 um, Corona Kali. Um, Kali being the fierce uh, destroyer um, who unleashes her, her rage. Um, and in many ways, uh, as a storyteller, it is the image of this planet being brought to our knees, um, literally. And finding that we are in the midst of this collapse, there is a tsunami of shifting consciousness. Um, some are seeing this as a revolution, others as an evolution. Some are seeing it as an absolute, um, you know, an awakening to a new time. Some are seeing it as a revelation. No matter how we see it, the lens we're putting on is that the worldview that we have all lived under, the old story has come to an end. The past has pushed us out, whether we like it or not. The caterpillar butterfly is a perfect metaphor for this time. The caterpillar has to dissolve, die into the soup of liminal possibility. This dissolution is what we're experiencing right now. We are dying to an old way of looking at ourselves, comfortable as it was uh, in many ways, habitual, etc. But I think the, the opportunity, what happens with the caterpillars in this dark time, and the, this time of quarantine is in a way a cave in which we've all arrived and we are discovering things about ourselves, discovering things that work, that don't work, and beginning to recognize that we can dream a new dream. And that is our choice. And choices are very powerful. That is our power shield right now. And um, most of the time, we can often make choices based on our fears, on old, tired habits, on ways that we've already done it, where our choices are made based on memory of what has passed. But the invitation now is to start making choices from the new story that we, each of us, collectively, individually, want to show up in. So I've been thinking about leadership at this time. I've came up with sort of four archetypes of the new leader entering into this new earth of possibility. The leader is a storyteller. It is our stories that are going to carry us into this new time. So the question is, what is the story each of us is asking, wanting, seeking to tell? The leader as a magician, as a transformational agent of change. The leader as a map maker. Right now, we have no maps. This is a new time. And the invitation is to step into this and create a new map based on creativity, deep inquiry, because it's our questions that are gonna lead us into this new story. The answers, uh, you know, we, we are always looking for the answers, but to me, it's the questions we're asking, the caliber, the quality of questions that is actually the most poignant right now. And then there is the leader as um, a magician, storyteller, um, and I had another one that I, uh, map maker and dreamer, fearless imagination. The answers we're seeking are in the unknown. So in a way, we are being asked now with profound curiosity, adventure, to step into what is 
possible that we can imagine seven generations from now. We're sowing seeds of possibility at this moment in whatever realm that we're in. So I am sensing that what is being called for all of us now is authentic presence and really looking at what it means to be authentic, what it means to have presence. It's to be fearlessly um, courageous and vulnerable and to have fierce love. Love has got to come back into the conversation in such a profound way and um, so, so that we can claim it. So those are my, my thoughts. I think I might be done. One minute now, I met. Okay, I'm done. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Ooh. Okay, well, let's give a hand to, to okay. all of the panelists. That is, I promise you, those who have been on with me before, um, you often hear me say nothing happens by chance. And so the fact that this is the session this afternoon with this week that we have had and this season that we are in, I, everything happens um, in, in its proper timing. Um, so thank you all for what you've shared. I took a lot of notes um, and I want to, I want to work backwards and ask a few questions of each panelist or, or pair a couple of you together. First, I do want to say, Amber, we're going to need those, um, those four types of leadership. Can you put those in the chat? Because I was writing and just my sure. hands. Yes, okay. Oh, um, that, would be, that would be very helpful because uh, I, I think this is spot on. Also, thank you for pointing out that we need to be fiercely courageous and fiercely vulnerable because I believe those are two sides of the same coin. Only courageous people can actually be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what we're going to need in this time. And so I want to, um, I want to go back to, it's Andrea or Andrea? Uh-oh. No, we can't hear you. Hmm. Yes. Very low. Hello. There we go. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Oh, either works, but it's, my parents call me Andrea. Then we'll do Andrea. But with a name like Ashante, I make sure I, I say everyone's name according to how their parents intended. So Andrea, uh, my question for you, I, I appreciate what you're saying around the different perspectives and bringing those different conversations into the room. Um, one of the things that you said was talked about elevating opportunities to have uh, the hard conversations. Um, how do we create those opportunities? Because those, creating those opportunities will begin the conversation around dismantling the current systems. What would your suggestion be, particularly from a criminal justice lens and what's happening right now? How do people start having those conversations or what platforms are we having those conversations with the consideration that media is the way it is now? No, it's really low. Hold on. Uh, how's that? Perfect. So what I've experienced since I've been in office is, you know, I, I, I was elected by really a, a broad grassroots movement, people that wanted to see criminal justice reform in our community, which was sorely needed. Um, but once the election was over, I felt like the community that had supported me to, to help 
you know, we got here together, I think that they kind of felt like we won and they became really quiet on the issues. So now for me, when I'm reading like stories in the newspaper, letters to the editor, the comments on Facebook mostly is what people use here, but you know, I use Twitter too. It's more the other side that are being loud and they're being vocal and they talking about their perspective, but I'm not seeing the people who help you know, get me here engaged in the conversation. And- um, Why would you say that is? Why, why would you say the, the silence is there now? I, I, I chalk it up to the fact that, you know, I think they, they think, they feel like we won maybe, and that we don't need to keep talking about this. Um, I think too, a lot of my supporters are reading the New York Times, they're reading the Boston Globe, they're talking about what they see happening in other communities and looking at national issues and not as focused on what's happening here in our backyard. Mm. It's a, everything is looking better collectively, but in your own home, it's still uh, recreating some of the, the issues that like, they haven't necessarily gone away yet. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and the the other side is, um, you know, they're they're angry and they're they lost, and so they're you know they're pushing for what they believe mm. is the way things should be. And I just I personally, you know, I haven't felt that um, the people that support the kind of reforms that we're implementing have been as vocal as I wish they would be. Mm -hmm. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it's the and, and this often happens, right? You, you, you rally and work and work, and then you get the person you want in the office to make the change. And you're like, whew, done. I'm good. Did my part. Check the box. And I was like, no, getting them in office was step one. Like, that was the beginning of the work. Like, getting them in office was the pre-work. Now you actually, like, the win looks like what does sustainable change look like, right? And so could that be a, a conversation that can start, being had in in that area would that be helpful to be like so let me explain what a win means or what a win looks like it starts with me getting an office it starts with us creating a new policy the the longevity of that is is the work and the, the continuous win would that kind of conversation help there yeah absolutely and, and I think for me too you know I I had this um this wish I think that was very naive that once you know, we started making the kind of changes that we have made and <coughs> doing a better job that we would win people over. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we have to a certain extent, but we've also really just ticked off the opposition even more so. And they're even more kind of entrenched and they're just a lot more vocal. Which means we then need to be you need to have that same fervor to, to get across the first finish line or the first check mark to get to the next check mark. It's not necessarily a finish line. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, so it's Newell. Oh, wait, you're on mute. It's a uh, Newell like renewal without the Newell. re. Okay, Newell. I like that. I've hadn't seen that before. Okay, Newell. 
Um, so I really appreciate that you said I'm a community organizer that just so happened is using these skills in leadership because that I've never heard that and that was that was spot on because most of us if, if, if what would happen if more leaders looked at themselves as community organizers <laughs> like how amazing how amazing would that be uh, so something that you spoke to was um, just changing change happening in our interactions and I appreciate that because that's kind of been a thread that has kind of run through the DNA of all of our sessions and so I appreciate you you almost in a way you know summarized all of our sessions in in your talk so that means we're you know we're, we're on the mark but I want you to share with us how do we support people in need in daily actions you said that a couple of times like what does that tangibly mean in Berkshire what does that tangibly mean in our communities right now what you're bringing up uh, just the, the the way I love to frame this is the conversations we do and don't have determine the results we get right you really think about it. It's all about where do the conversations happen with whom. So I think it really even begins at the street level for one thing, where when I'm walking down the street and I see somebody, like in my area, it's a very multi-ethnic, multi-everything neighborhood here. So there's some guy coming down the street and he, he's, he's looking down. I'll say hi to him anyway. I'll, you know, it's just making human contact with people in terms of that, I mean, that's the simple little nugget. In. But it is from a community organizing perspective, it's like who has the power? Who has the power? How do we identify who has the power and how do we reach them on the things that they care about? Because they, if you get to it, human beings at some fundamental level care about the same things. So how do we find ways to connect around those common cares? And that does take, mean taking a stand. Does mean, you know, which isn't always easy. You know, it's, uh, when we have a story about people with power, we, we, we have a story of how we're supposed to relate to them. And that's where you're talking about the courage, you know, to step in and take that risk. I call it joining the NTL club. It's called the nothing to lose club. <laughs> you know, you know as, long, as long as you aren't going to get thrown in jail, which, which Andrea's got to watch out for. You know, how, how, how can you interact with people and be a little more outrageous? I mean, in the 60s and 70s, we did a lot of outrageous stuff that made stuff happen. Mm -hmm. you know, of course, it didn't last very long, but it was great while it lasted. You know, so it's like, how do we really step up in those kinds of ways? So I, I mean, that's my short, my short answer to what you're saying. I'm, I'm now going to say, give me the longer one, because I give. What are, what are some? You said you see someone walking and you, you know, acknowledge their presence, their humanity, them yep. being another human being. That's that's huge, especially with how invisibility is such a, a rampant issue with all the isms. What are some other things people can be doing? Like daily actions, what can people be doing? It is, I mean, the, the, the classics of like, identify who's got the power to make a, make a decision, who's got the power to make a difference, and how do we reach them? And that's by talking to the other people who are affected by them, and that's where community organizing comes in. But how to do it in a way that you know, there's the old beat them over the head and you get the pushback. You know, that hasn't worked for us real well. You know, so it's how do you find what they care about? I call it lateral. How do you come at them sideways, not direct? Mm -hmm. And that's where when, you know, I, I spent 29 years in state government over here and I was able to make a lot of change, but I didn't do any of it direct. It was by figuring out who had the power, who, who were they connected to 
It's really about building the, those kinds of relationships around. So I call it the surround technique. You know? mm -hmm. Really, to me, that is what's really made change. Mm -hmm. It is. It's, it's, building, it's building those relationships because we all, as humans, do have some common ground, right? Exactly. You can find a connection with everyone, even the people you are most like diametrically opposed to. There is, there can be some connection, right? Um, thank you. Well, it is, it is why I moved to focus on leadership because when I, I ran a lot, number of not-for-profits, who was funding me? You know, who was on my board of directors? You know, all those folks, it was like, how do I reach them? And that's where like what Pascal was talking about, how do you reach them? You know, he's dealing with it at the psychological level, but, and I think that's important, but it's also, how do you deal with those larger communication and influential strategies on what do they care? I, I start with, what do they care about? How would you recommend we start diversifying that leadership? Well, first of all, it's named that it, it, it's not diversified. I mean, in, in many places, it's like taking pictures of it. I saw this picture the other day of um, that guy they call the president who shall not be named, you know? And it was a picture of all the military leaders mm -hmm. in the country that were in the top three tiers was all a bunch of old white guys, right? That was it. The background was all these old white guys when 43% of the military are people of color. You know, so it's like putting that kind of stuff out there, I think in terms of the campaign for change, you know, it's reaching into the, how do you reach those, that panel of white guys, you know, how do you get a few women in there? It was all white guys. I was freaked out. That was really weird. I didn't think we were that far back. Um, and we're, I'm leaning into this one a little bit just because I see this, this is why Gwendolyn has me on these things. Um, so as what often happens, I'm, I'm now going to do this to you as one of the resident white guys, yeah. um, can you please share with, share with us, like, how do we, what, what common ground, what commonality, what can we do to start talking to the rich white guys in power to start right. diversifying it? Cause it doesn't necessarily benefit y'all. So what no. angle do we come no. at to diversify? Well, it, it does benefit them. You know, it, it does benefit them because if they look at the future, you know, who, who are their customers? First of all, the society at large, most of them are, unless they're really on the far extreme, are getting that they need to, they need to start putting more women in power. They need to start putting more people in power. They don't know how to do it. You know, that's where Gwendolyn is. That's her specialty. It's like starting to show them the way. That's why we partner because it's like sometimes she can come at him from one angle and I can come at him from another angle. And that's, that's kind of how it works. You know, it, it is a, it's not going to happen overnight. We know that. Right. But it, it is, it is working it step by step that way, you know, in terms of it. I mean, some of it is naming it, you know, if we were going to do pure, look at what is, it's like, okay, this isn't, this isn't right. What do we do about it? And that, and that's a hard, that, that actually getting into what to do in those steps is really where the work is. Mm -hmm. No simple answer there. No, no, not at all. But it's just to, to your point, it's like sometimes you just got to name the thing, right? And I love that you led it, you led with, but it is going to benefit them. And that's the first piece. People understanding that these divides and the supremacy and the patriarchy heart, hurts everyone. Like it negatively impacts everybody. So thank you for leading with that. Um, Pascal and Amber spoke um, 
so beautifully and so eloquently about us realizing we can't go back to the old norm. We can't go back to the way things are and what this has done is it's forced us to be still, right? It has forced us to stop moving. And when you stop moving, you stop being distracted. And so my question, I know Pascal had to pop off for a second, but we'll ask Amber now. And if he comes back on, we'll ask again. Um, Amber, how do leaders, once they have identified that blind spot, how do they lean into that to work on fixing it? Because to your point, that requires courage and vulnerability and acknowledging, oh, I may, I may have, I mean, I'd be as great of a leader as I want to say externally. And so when these leaders have identified these, these blind spots in these areas where their staff or their teams or whoever is saying, there is an inequity here, there is a disparity here, what advice would you give them to start just, just to, to engage that? Like, what, what advice would you give them around that? I'm in such an extraordinary time right now that even the idea of fixing something, it's almost like, there is a radical shift that is being asked of all of us. So, uh, you know, so, so I can't answer that immediately and say, well, this is what I would do. But I think what I would say is that we have to recognize that the worldview that we have lived under for the past 2,000 years, the patriarchal mindset that based on control, domination, hierarchy, competition, or everything, has to collapse. And at this point, Corona Kali is coming and sweeping around that. So we're all left with despair and we're left with grief and we're left with this profound sense of how do I move now? You know, so it's almost like the responsibility is to really meet ourselves as leaders. Uh, uh, before we can go to our teams and say, here's, the, here's how we're gonna do it, really kind of ask that deeper question of oneself, like, where am I in this? What is my grief? What is my, what is, what is my shame? What, how do I hold this? It's so big. Mm -hmm. And so to me as a storyteller, it is in telling our stories. It's the leader sitting there with a circle with the team and say, let us hear the story. Like in the old days, the ancient times, because the story is a love story ultimately, because when we tell each other a story about our own personal vulnerable place, we engage, we connect to one another. We fall in love with each other. It is the most human experience. So I would like to see more stories being being uh, and creatively being brought into organizations as storytellers, the capacity to witness each other, the capacity to listen deeply. We're not very good at listening. We just don't know how to listen. We're too distracted. I mean, honestly, I feel like we, we, the caterpillar is really dying. We're all dying. <laughs> and, and so that therein lies the light breaking through and saying, but, let us look at what we can create mm -hmm. together. The lone wolf is done. No more single solitary leadership together. The community in communion. Mm. So that's, that's how I sort of respond. I love that. So, oof, okay, I got chills on that one. There have been a few words throughout this time that we're like, okay, we're just going to get rid of these words because we've been socialized to believe they're a thing and they're not. One of the words was failure. 
So no, you didn't fail. You learned something, you evolved, you grew from that. Like it's actually a good experience. Um, the second word was uh, colorblindness. Not a real thing. Definitely have to stop using that word and we put in color brave. Am I correct, Gwendolyn? Yeah. yeah. Um, this last phrase that you just said, it was like no more lone wolf leadership. Mm. Like lone wolf leadership has to go. I wish Ari was here because she would just move it. Yeah, Ari. Ari's got the swipe. <laughs> she swipes it away um so thank you for adding to our list of words we will not be using and phrases we will not be subscribing to after this um everything that you're saying i i agree with i believe it i feel it deeply and my question is for leaders where it's hard to do that how do they do that like what what permission like for those for someone who may be on the call right now and they are a leader and it's like I cannot tell my team I'm struggling with X. I cannot tell people I don't know. And I love that you started your answer with, I can't actually answer that. Like, what advice would you give to leaders right now who are like, I can't tell my team all these things you're telling me to say to them to build stories? Like, how, mm -mm. Can, can, what, what advice would you give them around that barrier, that internal struggle they're having in this moment? We're all being asked to take the risk, to step out of our comfort zone, I mean, in fact, I can't do this. Uh, I don't know how to do this. Well, that is the moment where we say, what would it be like if I was to show up for my team and bring to them the courage of vulnerability, the courage of the question, the courage of fearless love? I mean, it could be a different language, but, but I think this is exactly what it is. We are standing at the edge of a, a chasm, an, an abyss, and we are being asked to push ourselves off and arrive in a new place. We can't do this if we still hold on to the known, secure, oh my God, what will they think of me? No, we've got to be brave in a way we have never been brave. I mean, I, I, the urgency of this is so startling to me. And at the same time, the paradox is we are only planting seeds now for a story that will find its way you know, 100, 200, 300 years from now. I mean, this is what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. you know, so Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you all for, for that. Um, again, if you've been with me for a while, you know I call audibles in real time. I will do one session one way and then change it in the next one, depending on what the group is offering. This is one of those moments. Um, so what we are going to pivot to is a longer donya's like what are you doing okay <laughs> what we're gonna pivot to is a longer um breakout or breakthrough session um and we call them breakthrough sessions because they are meant to be a little uncomfortable because to the caterpillar point and to anything nothing grows without something breaking right your bones don't grow unless something breaks your hair doesn't grow unless it comes out the scalp like nothing, babies don't grow, like nothing grows without something breaking and leaving. And that, that is where we all are at this point. And so we want to give you all an opportunity to sit with the panelists in the breakthrough sessions and bring up some actual questions um, that may be burning, that may be you're, you're curious to know more about, you may be shamed to ask, that that's also fine and well and true and all of that can be real. Um, and so we just want to give y'all a space to, to actually talk with them in real time because, again, everything that we want to have happening from these labs is not just beautiful soliloquies of change, but action, right? We take those beautiful words and put legs to them and make them do things that will be sustainable. 
And so we want to give y'all time to do that. Um, we have a couple of questions um, that can come into the room as well, if you like. One of them being, what light has COVID-19 shown you about your values and your organization? I think that's a, a, a great one to like kind of sit with for yourself. And so I'll say that again, what light has COVID-19 shown you about your values and your organization? And I can put it in the group chat while Gwendolyn then explains what's gonna happen. Yes, I wanna highlight as we were designing these labs, we really, we talked about um, how this, you know, in Zoom it's a breakout <laughs> session, but we're looking for breakthroughs. I just wanna emphasize, I know Shanti said that, we're asking you all to push each other and to stay on that uncomfortable edge in this conversation. You have the benefit of trained coaches in the room with you and people that have put themselves as leaders through this leadership process. So you're all leaders. There isn't anyone in any one of these circles that you're about to have that isn't a leader. So put yourself in that space and really work it. And you have this opportunity in front of you, make the most of it. Um, you're going to be in there for a little while, so it'll be it feel it'll feel expansive for those of you that have been in the labs. You, we have a 30-minute um, session, um, and the only thing I'm going to tell you is when I give you the two-minute warning, um, don't be your socialized, compliant selves, you know, and and hit leave room. You have those two minutes. Use those two minutes to wrap up. All right, we're going to have um, a person report back from each group. Ashanti and I will be planning with that what that time looks like on the other end, because it'll be different than the other ones. Um, so we'll be working in this end. Um, and just enjoy your time. I, I, my heart is filled. I'm sorry, Pascal had to go for a family matter. Um, you have his partner, Alexandra, with us. We have Newell and we have Amber. Um, these are folks that I really rely on. Andrea is leading. I, every time I ask Andrea to speak, she says yes to me. And every time I hear, she needs the voices. She needs the engagement of all of us. So let's do that, right? She needs that support. Am I right, Andrea, for speaking for you? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so here you go on your Zoom ride. Have a good time. Go. Courageous. Go be courageous. All right, where's my, here it is. Okay. So body language faces are a little bit different. A little more relaxed. Well, most people. Okay. Um, so we're also going to do something a little bit different in this session as well. So yeah. Um, because of the topic um, and because this is very, it's very granular. It can be very granular in, in what we're going to do. Um, we're going to change it up a little bit. So what we're going to have happen this time is we're going to have Newell and Amber share out some of the themes and maybe experiences that came up in their respective sessions. So each side can hear, you know, what was happening possibly in their group or in the other group. But I may probe a little bit, you know, so we can just get a, a, a better collective of people's experiences. Now, I will say this because I did not ask for permission, ask permission for people to share their actual experiences before we went into the sessions. Amber and Newell, I ask that you don't use names. Um, you only share the experience um, without any name connected to it. So just the people in the group know that name and the other folks don't necessarily have to know it because we wanna honor that I didn't ask for that permission going into this. And we wanna maintain that autonomy so people can keep that safe space. 
Um, so here's what will happen. Amber, you will go first because we're going in reverse order. So you will go first. You will have about five minutes to share just some themes that came up, um, some experiences or examples that you may want to bring to light that may be happening collectively for everyone in the group. And then I may do a little bit of probing to go down into a couple of the sessions and then okay. we'll do the same for you. Okay, okay. Um, so I think one of the core um, themes or uh, essences was an African proverb which says, when you lose your way, in losing your way, you're finding your way. So we, in our session, we began, each person had an opportunity to reflect on how this light, the light that COVID is, is showing up in, in, in terms of values and organizations, but also speaking to being in the fire path, feeling the fire of this time, that in a way, even though we want to move forward with our organizations, and we want to take the next step, it's almost like we are feeling held in the fire and having to meet what's in the fire. That means being brave enough to meet the despair, the grief, the, the feeling that the patriarchal system was never designed to be a kind, compassionate, generous system. The patriarchal system which conditioned all of us and enslaved all of us you know, is now beginning to unravel. And so finding our way in the midst of this, there was a, a, a reflection on the tension point when your values are clear and, and very much aligned with who you are, but the institution or the organization you're working for is still in that old story and, and the tension. And how does one meet that? Um, how does one meet this time when one feels isolated and craves for connection? craves for connection, but recognize it that in the isolation, there are seeds being planted. And then there was this beautiful reflection on faith, the humility of this time, and the giving ourselves permission to feel the fire. Mm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. Good work in that group. Good, Good work. work. One. Amazing group. An amazing um, group. Can you give some examples to the high-level themes you just spoke about? And can you start with uh, the one you shared around when your values and how you're changing doesn't mirror that of the organization that you're in? One, how you take care of yourself and how do you affect change? Can you talk about either some examples people shared or what recommendations you gave in that? I, 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 I think rather than giving recommendations, I think the recommendations were much more in, the, in their line of this, that it's hard to make logistical decisions uh, in, the, in the external world until we are very fully claiming the platform we want to stand on. And, and, and so, you know, so there's logistics, the logistics of how do we make things happen? And then there's a, but what is, how are you making those decisions? Now, if those decisions are coming from panic, fear, desperation, that is just going to create the conversation, as Newell was talking about, which is going to lead to a result that you perhaps don't want to be in. So, mm -hmm. I, I mean, the sense was, let's be mindful while we are in this point. It's going to change. Three months from now, things are shifting. But right now, for most of the people in the group, there was just that sense of let us stay and let us really get clear and let us meet our trauma. And from that place of, you know, clarity and insight, 
we can then step into making the kinds of changes we want in our life, whether it's leaving that job and finding a new way to, to show up in your gifts, you know, um, so, uh, or whether it's, uh, and another example was simply, you know, how does this, uh, uh, this new emergent creative enterprise meet this time when, when uh, uh, serving a population that is um, uh, sort of the, 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 the two populations, the marginalized population that this venue is seeking to serve and a very affluent population in which the venue resides. So how do we bring those two worlds together? Mm -hmm. What is the new story that can be told around that? Did y'all go into what that new story could be? No, we didn't oh, have time. We're just we identifying. <laughs> we needed well, another what, half hour. Well, Amber, what could that new story be? <laughs> <laughs> that new story? Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> again, speaking having the time to reflect mm -hmm. no i i i amber i appreciate you so much because you are you are no i'm so because you are doing the thing that we are trying to get people to be comfortable with doing and being like i don't have an answer right now and that's okay and you just continue to model that and i so deeply appreciate it um could you uh briefly speak on i think one of the things you talked about was isolation could you say a little bit more about, I guess, either what came up in the group or what y'all discussed or what solutions you may have come to or, or more questions that came from that? Mm. Well, I think that just that sense that um, we are not alone, even as we may individually feel isolated and we don't have the human connection, that we are not alone during this time. So it's, 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 a, it's a different um, uh, field you know, where you know that everybody else is going through this. Mm -hmm. um, but, but that isolation is, is feeling, it's like a deprivation, you know, and, and we have been having to just wait for this, this thing to pass, its, uh, to pass on and new, you know, to be able to get, get out in the world. How do we get comfortable with our solitude during times that are so intense? Was that, question, that question was for me or for the group? <laughs> yeah, I think it's for the group. It's like, oh, how do we get to you know, <laughs> this? Uh, and I think one of the things we really commented on was the, the uh, uh, somebody from Bridge, I forget, who is it from Bridge? <laughs> who is it? Donnie and Stephanie. Donnie and Stephanie. Right? Yeah, well, anyway, even though I'm not meant to mention names, but, I, but, but we did oh, call right. out Bridge uh, as a model uh, um, of, of an organization that took the steps very quickly Mm -hmm. and, and is really a bridge between the old story and the new story mm -hmm. and has done a spectacular job of just moving resources very quickly and, and seeing the glare, the word glaring was used, mm -hmm. the, the undercurrent of the marginalized communities and what they're going through in our, in our world. And so being able to see that and bridge having the, you know, the courage and the capacity to move very quickly. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, Newell, what came up? Well, you know, if my kids were still around, they would say, you've asked me the toughest question in the world because they said, I do rewind real bad. But, 
And they were referring to tapes, you know, back. <laughs> hey, I'm an elderly millennial. I, I remember. I used them. <laughs> All the DHS. Yep. And so, I have a memory of Dory, so I get it. From finding, well, I, we are in good company here, friend. So I, I may call on some of my tribe here in a moment. But in the meantime, I, I would say the overall focus was um, just our inner angst about what can we do. There was, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's complex, it's confusing, there's no clear right answers. And um, how do we do it at various levels? We could, you know, at the individual level, at what level of the collective, what are the forms to do that in? You know, when, when's the point where we got to go pick it in the streets? You know, when's the point where we continue to try and collaborate in different ways? And when can we get so lost in collaboration that we're building structures on structures rather than using our informal power of just connecting to people on real, you know, like the real old way, you know, of course now we got to do it this way, but I mean, we're, we're, we're not doing it through this organization and that organization. We're just doing it, you know, kind of, kind of that level of stuff. So we were looking at it in different ways there. And, and since people asked me some coaching questions, I started talking about, you know, various techniques on everybody's a leader. You know, the notion that anytime you want to get something done that you need more than yourself to do it, and you need a group of people to do it, at that point, you're a leader, you know? And so how do you use leadership skills, both your body, the way you speak, and then what you say, and where do you say it? So I was doing a little bit of that stuff in the middle of it. Could you share uh, some of those? Could you share like what some of those questions or experiences is were, or share some of those techniques? Yeah, well, that, that was a summary basically of it. It's the notion that when you're going into a situation, how you physically show up, are you going in in a way where you're threatening? You know, are you someone who's just too timid? How do you just hold your stand in terms of your body language? And then what's your physical stature? I didn't bring that up, but like when I got a six foot nine football player and he's trying to get something done, he, he needs to kind of lay low a little bit because otherwise he's going to come across to just too dominant. Whereas someone who's a, a small, a smaller person, how are they going to speak up into it? So that's really the, how do we use our bodies? And then the notion of our tone of, our tone of voice, you know, are we whining? Are we angry? How are we approaching it in, um, in a tone of voice that people are going to, going to create a listening? And then what are our choices in words? And we didn't get into all of that, but there's how do you use more neutral language rather than angry language or passive language? How do we use more that all the benefits of using the speech acts well, making clear requests? Mm -hmm. So that was a little teach point that was in, in the middle of uh, me doing kind of my standard stuff. And uh, we, we were looking at just really the, how do we, how do we focus in Berkshires around connecting different people together? And what, would, what, what are different ways? And people were sharing some of the ways they've been doing that already um, and uh, how that might work more in the future. So that, Donna, what else do you have in the notes that I missed there? One of the big things I wanna make sure we share, Newell, thanks for giving me the opportunity, was just the urgency right now of the people that are out there that can't wait while we figure out how we're gonna act. There's people that are hungry. Uh, Andrea brought up, you can, we can go to Home Depot on Saturday and be buying garden supplies, yet the Department of Children and Families can't do home visits and check up on the welfare and well-being of our children. So 
the urgency to act now, um, we brought up cross sectors working together and which is great, but at the same time, be careful that it's not at the expense of what forms and applications have to be filled out in order to get into a program and get the food and the resources you need. So how can we break down those systems and instead somebody shared like they just got a phone call from somebody saying hey what do you need from me an organization that had resources how can I get things to you what is it can I bring to you so a big takeaway was just double down on the relationships with the people that you 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 were helping them prior or they were helping you let them know that that need is there now more than ever and you really need them to step forward and not step backwards in this time. Thank you. Um, I want to ask a quick question, Newell. Uh, something that you spoke to, I, I appreciate what you said around like the neutral language and how that has to shift and you know, people are constantly taking in um, information about someone and most of what you take in about a person is completely nonverbal. It is not at all what they say. It's how they say it in the presentation of it. Could you talk a little bit about um, how a person would engage folks knowing that or with, with the lens and the understanding that there are biases in people's minds when someone shows up? So how do you still show up powerful if there is a bias that, you know, if like if, if there is a particular bias against you showing up in a certain way or a stereotype or a trope and you show up in a certain way and it calls for that how do you do it this is against all the different places where right. they're expecting privilege so how how do people manage that in their in their full presentation the way that i've found actually the most effective way is to name it right up front in a very playful way can you give us an example? It would be like, yeah, well, it, for me to come in, if I was going into, let's say I was going to go into a whole group of people of color who are 16 years old, and I walk in and here I am, this old white guy, I would come in and say, I don't know if I've got anything that's worth listening to in me, but I have, you know, I'm a has-been. I has been a lot of places, you know? You know, and maybe some of this, maybe some of this is a little useful for you. Mm -hmm. How about giving, how let me tell you a story about something that was like when I was your age. Mm -hmm. She was back in the middle ages, I know, but there might be something in here you could, that might relate to you. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's backpedaling into like, how do I relate to whoever it is, but be being very vulnerable in that sense and being very playful with it. I love that. So how would you do it if it is, reversed in, in terms of power dynamic. So does a person who has a targeted identity that is then speaking to a privileged group? Um, how, how do you, you see I, what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, like if, if all of a sudden I want funding from a group of people and I'm, I'm the director of some small nonprofit, right? And I'm. Well, I would, I would still not even necessarily from that way because you're still a white man. So there is still a certain power dynamic. And so let's say, um, a, a queer Latina woman. Okay. If she's going into a, a room full of white men yep. and she is passionate about what she's talking about. How does she, with being Latina, being queer, being a, a female, like how do you right. come in and not get written off as a trope and still bring your power? And name who you are in a playful way. It's like, hey, I'm not like you, I'm different. 
this is my, my life experience isn't like yours in some ways, but then go to commonality. And yet we still are a bunch of human beings who've had a bunch of life experiences. You probably have had this happen to you. You would name some of the kinds of things that would have been some time in their life that they could have had some common experiences. But first name your difference in a very playful way. You know, I mean, even play a joke on yourself without getting too down. I mean, because I think that, that, that starts to be demeaned. You don't want to demean yourself. You want to name yourself in a light, playful way. I find that that's usually that connects our humanity as we're just all bozos on the bus of life. You know, if you do that kind of at the beginning of it, then you can start to connect to some of these other levels. I mean, that, that to me is what I've witnessed work over and over again. So you would say name the difference and then hone in on the commonality. Exactly. I, no, I appreciate that because I, and I appreciate you being able to flip it to when there's a different power dynamic, because what is going to require oftentimes, and even if we're looking at the majority of people on this call, it is, it is more women. And so going into certain spaces, I was curious about what does the reverse of that look like? So thank you for bringing I that. I don't think it'll work all the time, but I think it would work more than anything else I know of. You know? And thank you for identifying that. I was like, this is not prescriptive. <laughs> it will shift depending on the situation um so thank you both can we please give a hand to all of the panelists and coaching thank I you. Awesome thank work you. Thank with you. everything that you have done i know i got help i took some of my own notes thank you for the session um and so let's see here uh all right <laughs> um, yeah i was like wait need a note reading it i'm gonna pass it back over pass it back over to Gwendolyn. all right Thank you. Um, I just want to say thank you. And as we have pivoted as we need to for each of these sessions, um, I want to acknowledge that you and Amber got thrust into a little bit more work than the other panelists were doing. So thank you very much for holding that space and reporting back. So, and I, I've been chatting with people. I know that many people benefited from working with you. So thank you so much for sharing with the group. Um, and thank you all for leaning into the groups. I want to acknowledge, I think, this week has brought us all to emotionally raw place. Um, again, those kinds of moments thrust me into a little more authenticity and the truth that I actually live and embody all the time, which you all don't get to see depending on where and in which channel you relate to me through bridge work. Sam, my husband, sees it and hears it all the time, right? But and so I think that some parts of today you got a little bit more of Gwendolyn than you get in other spaces. So I just breathe through that. It's all the reality I have to live with and hold and balance every day. Um, so I just wanted you to acknowledge that and uh, me to acknowledge that I feel it might be happening. And then I also want to thank you all for um, leading in to doing this work. And I, I hear and feel, even through Zoom, very deep reflections and people being pushed to their edge, which is the only way that real change can happen. So I'm, I'm really grateful for all of the energy and time that you all put here. It's the only way that we're going to see this future co-create our new future, navigate what we have to navigate, what's before us right now. It's really the only way. So thank you. Um, thank you for joining us. We want to thank the Bridge Sustaining donors and organizational members, as well as our New Pathways sponsors, the Pumpkin Foundation, the Moonlight Mile Fund, Berkshire COVID Response from the Berkshire United Way, and Berkshire Taconic Community Foundation, Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts, MCLA, and the Crane Foundation. 
be well, do as much good work as you possibly can, and stay safe out there. This is our great opportunity, I think, to create great change.